Shalom and welcome to Torah to the People, a podcast from Temple Israel in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm Rabbi Micah Greenstein. We hope you enjoy this selection of our sermons, classes, and conversations with inspiring people from across the Bluff City and around the world. Friends, um, all the laws of sacrifice described in this week's Leviticus Torah portion, Sav, chapters 6 through 8, were meaningful only so long as the temple in Jerusalem flourished. And this, as we know, lasted until 70, when the temple was destroyed forever by the legions of the Second Empire, the Romans, since it would no longer then be possible to offer sacrifices, which weren't just animals, it could be whatever you offered up to God, our ancestors introduced what was then a radical innovation, verbal prayer. They invented this, maybe not in book form, but they invented the prayer book, and they called it literally Avodah Shebalev, sacrifice of the heart to serve as a fitting substitute for the offerings of the ancient sacrificial system in this week's Torah portion. But here's the problem our more mystical Jewish ancestors raised. Jewish mysticism teaches that whatever has been created cannot ever be completely destroyed. So it wasn't enough for them to suggest that the prayer book was a substitute for sacrifice, even though the altar of the temple had been destroyed for over a thousand years. Jewish mystics who loved prayer felt they still had to account for that actual altar, which seemingly disappeared with the fall of Jerusalem in 70. So where did the altar go? The altar, they answered, is inside every human heart. And they derived this explanation from a verse in this week's Torah portion where the text reads, the Eish HaMizbeach Tukad Bo, which means the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. The Hebrew word bow, which we normally translate to mean on it, can also mean literally in him. So the mystical commentators conclude that the fire of the altar shall continue to burn in him. Who's him? Aaron the high priest, the main character in this week's Torah portion. And through him, and them, the priests, all their descendants, you and me, who constitute the household of Israel. Every person's life, the rabbi submitted, can be, in a sense, a temple. For every person's life possesses the presence of God. And every human heart, they continue, is an altar. So that, they say, is where the altar of the ancient temple in Jerusalem went 
after it was only seemingly destroyed. And sacrifices are also the link to the accompanying prophetic reading this week in Jeremiah, who warned our ancestors not before the second temple was destroyed, but before the first temple was destroyed by the Babylonians around 586 BCE, that if they kept on worshiping the wrong things, idols, if they kept sacrificing their children to idols in the valleys of Jerusalem, then God, they say, Jeremiah says, will destroy Jerusalem and you will be destroyed as well. Jeremiah even tells the people that when their behavior is that bad, if they're sacrificing the wrong things, that even after they've been killed, I know this sounds gross, but it's in the Bible, their bodies will be pulled from their graves and left to rot under the sun and the stars and all the other wrong idols they've worshiped. The Hebrew prophets like Jeremiah were soldiers in a war against idolatry, which weren't just statues. As Norman Potteritz writes, and I quote, the big idea of Jewish revelation is that there is only one God, not many gods. You can't see that God in one depiction. You couldn't make a picture of the one God. You couldn't make a statue of God. You just have to hear what the one God demands, which Jeremiah spells out in chapter 9, verse 22, in this week's accompaniment to the Torah. God says, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the strong man glory in his strength. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but only in this should a person glory in devotion to what matters most to me, says God. For I, God, I, God, act with kindness, justice, and equity in the world. For these I delight in declares God. In these, kindness, justice, and equity, I delight as the sacrifice. Kindness, justice, and equity are the sacrifices we're supposed to make for others, we learn this week. Kindness, justice, and equity are how we become God's partner in leaving the world better than the way we found it. The ancient sacrifices in Levitical times and Jeremiah times are therefore not just some outdated manner of pleasing God before we came up with this. On the metaphoric and spiritual levels, the sacrifices are also a matter of understanding that each of us has an altar within ourselves and that we can reshape our lives to meet the ideals we purport to care about. Whenever our good inclinations prevail over our evil tendencies, we bring a sacrifice upon that ancient altar within our hearts. 
Every good deed, every act of kindness, justice, equity, adds brilliance to a potential flame that burns in the depth of our divine soul. Every mitzvah, every sacred deed can perpetuate the flame of Jewish faith. Every bad deed diminishes that light and spirit of God. And each of us shares this responsibility to keep the flame of Jewish faith alive in our hearts through our own personal performance by speaking up, standing up. It's not enough to have a fire burning on some ancient altar. There must also be a perpetual passion and enthusiasm for life deep within us to bring kindness, justice, and equity to the world in which we have been placed. No matter how wrongly people are acting, even in recent days, we can always do better. We can always be better, individually and collectively. And let us say, amen. For two years before this, I taught in Metro Nashville Public Schools as an elementary music teacher. I taught in a trailer right outside the school building, which we filled with the sounds of singing, instruments, laughter, and excitement. One day, while I was with a second grade class, we had an active shooter drill, as we had multiple times a year. In this trailer, surrounded by windows with bent shades, allowing you to see inside even when they're down. There were not many actual hiding places, but I got my students to the corner, turned off the lights, and locked the door. My students were laughing, joking around, being kids who just abruptly ended a fun activity. I had to keep telling them to stop. This was not a time for jokes, not a time for them to just be kids. When the drill was over, we had a conversation about how there are so many good people in the world, but unfortunately there are a small amount of people who want to do unthinkable things, and we need to make sure we know what to do to keep ourselves safe if one of those people come to us. One of my students raised their hand and asked, what happens if they come to our school? And I said, that's why we have to stay quiet and still so they don't see us. Another one of my students asked, what would happen if they walk up the ramp to the trailer? To which I said, that's why we lock the door, so they can't get in. And then another one of my students asked, what happens if they break down the door? And I froze, because how do I tell these kids that if that happens, I can't keep them safe? I felt like I was lying to them because the trailer walls wouldn't be thick enough to stop a bullet if someone knew we were there. All I could say to them in that moment was that's why we have these drills and know what to do so that hopefully we will never have to know what happens after someone breaks down the door because it was only a drill. Only 22 miles away from that trailer and that conversation was a school who a year later would not be so lucky. This past Monday, three students 
and three staff members from the Covenant School in Nashville went to school, ready to learn and teach, but never left. Everyone else and the families affected left school that day, having learned the answer to my student's question, what happens if the person breaks down the door? This is not a time to get the issue confused. It is not about the gender identity of the shooter. It is not about if there was ease of access into the building. It is about doing what needs to be done, taking action and making sure that no other school learns the answer to that question. The song I'm about to sing takes the idea of Loi Sagoy putting our weapons down and in lo akshav amatai, if not now, when? If not now, then when? Because if not now, then when? Don't you cry no more Mama, don't you cry no more Cause a brighter day Is gonna come our way So mama, don't you cry no more And I don't wanna be afraid Don't you cry no more Cause a brighter day Is gonna come our way So darling, don't you cry no
So we won't have to cry no more So we won't have to cry no more Cause a brighter day Is gonna come our way When we won't have to cry No more Amen.